are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. Hundreds of farms and ranches across the state of Oklahoma invite you to explore and experience the intersection of agriculture and tourism. Oklahoma's growing adventure. Pet a pig, help with a harvest, lie around at the lodge, wind down with a wine and more. However, you want to experience agriculture? Let Oklahoma Agrotourism be your guide. Start your adventure at oklahomaagrotourism.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Today's episode comes from Krebs, Oklahoma. I interviewed Dominica Lavera of Lavera's Market. You can follow them online at laverasmarket.com and then on Instagram at laverasmarket. That'll be in the description down below. Um, but a great episode today. Did it over Zoom as couldn't couldn't get up to Krebs this weekend at short notice. But awesome podcast, uh, some great stories, and just generational family business uh they're world-renowned cheese uh, so yeah if you love italian food or want to learn more about italian food then definitely check out Lavera's and and let's get straight into today's episode it all began with the immigrants that came over can't wait to hear all about it okay so it was it was my husband's grandmother and grandfather mm-hmm. marta blua and batista lavera immigrated to the United States in December of 1907. They came here uh, and settled in Chicago. Uh, At the time, Batista was working for International Harvester, Cummings Engines. He got word from people, the immigrants here in Oklahoma, that there was good money being made in the coal mines. Come on down, same thing with my family. Uh, They were more Pennsylvania, up that way, but Sam's people went to Chicago. Um, when they came here, his grandfather was working in the coal mine, and uh, Sam's oldest uncle, um, Simone, was 19 years of age and had been begging for his dad to let him go to work in the coal mine, that he could help the family make money. Begged and begged, and his daddy, Batista, would tell him, no, son, it's no place for for anybody. I don't want you there. But times were hard, and so one night his son, but Simone, said, come on, dad, let me go. And Batista said, pack your lunch, come on. At that time, It was 1930, October 27th, October 30. Oklahoma's largest mine explosion happened, which left Sam's grandmother, Marta Blua Lavera, a widow with three small children to raise um, by herself. At that time, she started during the during the, the time of depression, she started making what we all are known for around here called chalk beer, (laughs) homemade beer. But the reason why they called it chalk was because it was Choctaw territory, Mm -hmm. Indian territory, Choctaw nation. You know, this was the Choctaws, Eufaula's Creek. And then it goes on down Cherokee, Tahlequah, every part of Oklahoma. However, she went to making chalk beer and, home-cooked meals to feed the miners, and that's how she survived to feed her family. Um, Sadly enough, the night of the funeral, 
the hog that they had that they, you know, every family got a hog every year and they would butcher that hog and that would sustain them for the rest of the year. When they came back from the funeral, their hog had been stolen. So Levera's Grocery was established in 1946 when Marta Blua, after being single for so long and, and losing her husband in 1930, later on, she got with a man named Steve Testa. At that time, Steve Testa was the owner of the grocery store. Steve was wanting to sell the grocery store. At that time, Mike, my father-in-law, Sam's dad, was in the Navy and had been sending money back to his mother to save. So when he came out of the Navy, his mother, Marta, said to him, take this money that you've been sending me and do me a favor. Steve Testa wants to sell the store. You need to go in half with your brother-in-law, Anton Poliska, and buy the store from Steve Testa and run it. And, and, and if you don't want it after three years, I'll buy it back from you. Anton Poliska was married to my father-in-law's sister. After time went on, she lost her oldest son. Then she lost a son, a younger son, because he spilled a bat. They, were, they boiled the chalk. And he was running through the house and tipped the bat, the crock of chalk over, scalded himself. So she lost another child. Then she lost Zia Maria, that was married to Anton Poliska's twin brother, died he was a free bleeder. So Marta ended up with just two children out of those five children to raise. So when Mike came back from the Navy, his sister had already married. She was still in Chicago and had met Anton Poliska and married him and came back here. Then Mike came out of the Navy and his mother Marta said, go in half with Anton, buy the store, run it for three years. If you don't like it, I'll buy it back from you. At that time, Mike did what his mother requested. And as you can tell, he never sold it back. Mary Poliska came in and worked the store side by side with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and father-in-law were married uh, December, what was it? It was December, let's see. 1952, that's right, 1952. So Mike and Madeline were married in 52, and they had three children, Mike, Sam, and Mary Christina. So once Mike married Madeline in 52, they ran the store by themselves. Mike bought his sister out. Since her husband left her, he gave her her half of the money back. And he took the store by himself. She didn't come in to work until after the kids were older. She helped Madeline and Mike take care of the, the babies while they ran the store, which they all grew up above the grocery store. I can take you across I can flip you and show you what the store looks like. It's an old brownstone, yeah. outdoor steps, apartment above but well the pictures on the website it's uh yes it's really yes cool yeah. the building was built in 19 
I think it's 1910, I think, was the building was built in 1910. Mm -hmm. But uh, once Mike took it over, he never gave it back. And it, it, it became the, the cornerstone of the uh, community. That's where all the Italian immigrants could get their their flour to make the ravioli, to make their pasta. They sold hops, uh, barley, all the stuff to make the chalk. <laughs> it was the, 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 they kept the, they supplied all the Italian restaurants with the meat, the sausage. So they went back to making, uh, to making the Italian sausage and the cheeses, which all Italian families made those at home, you know, but they did it for the store. And um, um, let me see. So LeVere's Grocery was established in 1946. Sam's grandmother, Marta Blua, was married to Steve Testa, who at the time was the owner, was wanting to sell the store. Sam's dad, Mike, who his name was really Mateo, but they butchered it, so he changed it to Mike. Oh, hell, just call me Mike, it'd say. So he had just returned from the Navy. His sister, Mary, was married to Anton. They asked him to take the money, the partnership with the brother-in-law and by the store. That didn't even last for three years. Anton didn't even last three years. But um, then Mike married Madeline in 50, December of 52, and they became the sole owners and raised their kids above the grocery store. Sam and uh, 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 Mike worked the store. They started working in the store at 10 years old, you know, pop bottles, that kind of stuff. Then by the time they got into junior high, they, uh, they would get out of school at noon in junior high and high school and come over to work. And that's then when Sam's dad died in 87, let me see. We were married in 88, 87. I think Sam's dad, Mike died in 86 of a heart attack. And that left uh, Sam and Mike here. Well, actually, yeah, Sam and Mike, to run the store with their mother. And so then they became the soul. Those two went in. So the store went to, to the brothers and they began to run the store. Then as time went on and we got older and we got married, then Sam took the store. He bought his brother and sister out, Mary Christina. First, the two brothers bought her out and then Sam bought his brother out. And uh, then it became Sam's by himself. Well, then by then Walmart had come in. So Sam had to figure out a way to diversify, to survive, because all the little neighborhood grocery stores were gone. We had Walmart, you know, and maybe Homeland. There were two major big grocery stores and everyone was closing up. All the grocery stores were closing up. So Sam had to figure out something to diversify, to survive. So that's when he started the cheese and, and well, the cheese was always going, but he started doing wholesale. He started doing uh, online. He started doing uh, increasing the, the production in made a USDA. First, we started uh, uh, state inspected. Then he moved to federal inspected and he's just grown, 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 grown. And so, Surviving Walmart was quite a task and uh, staying open during that. And 
he's just grown it. He's taken a little, he, he was amazing. He, he took a little mom and pop and turned it into a, what would you say, world known? Yeah. So once he had taken it over and we'd really started on the cheese and really vamping up on the cheese, because we always sold the sausage wholesale, but we never really did the cheese. We just made that in-house for ourselves. Well, then my daughter got married, got with the guy and he had a, uh, had worked in restaurants and he had a uh, biology background. So Sam sent him to Wisconsin and employed him to kind of grow the cheese, which at that time we started making goat cheese and, and chevrel and, and started bringing on some local dairies and trying to help out the local dairies. And, and uh, that's when we started with the artesian cheeses. We got a letter from Italy saying that we could not call our cheese Cascavallo. That it was a trademark, like champagne. If it's not made in that region of France, you can't call it champagne. So my husband, Sam, comes home at night and he says, God dang it, Domenica, I don't know what we're going to do. I just got a letter from Italy and we can't call it Cascaval. It's Everybody knows it as Cascaval. And I'm going to lose all my online sales because they not, if I, I can't change the name of it. No one to know what to ask for. And this is really going to screw me. And he was just, he was just just about to lose it. And I said, Oh baby, calm down, calm down. There's more than one way to skin a rabbit. And now we can, we can get past this. And he said, how in the hell are we going to get past this? Everybody knows it as Koshkabal. That's what it is. And I said, well, that's easy. He said, what do you mean? It's easy. I said, change it, change the name and put Lovera at the end of it. He said, what? Instead of Koshkavalo, call it Koshkavera. And he looked at me and said, damn, baby, that's good. <laughs> and I said, thank you. So he did. So we changed the name of it to Koshkavera because that's not such a big change yeah. that people won't recognize it, right? So then we entered the cheese competition. My, we started internet in, inter, entering these international cheese competitions. So the first cheese competition we entered, we beat Italy. On Cascavera. <laughs> that was a feather in his hat. He loved it. He loved it, you know. Sam was always about the underdog and, and you know, uh, uh, lending a hand up. We, we were raised that a hand up is totally different than a handout. And if you ever get too big that you're unwilling to lend a hand up, you're pretty... Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, so that was a that was a real uh, uh, feather in Sam's hat, and he strutted for quite some time when he won that award. <laughs> so ever since then, we've entered the international cheese competition and have taken awards. And my grandson won awards for his uh, his cheeses that he developed. He he his papa Sam sent him to. Uh, Italy, back to the old country where he came from, to his region of Piemonte, Deserteto, Valgari, and uh, sent him up there to learn how to make cheese. So he did. He, he went to Italy and he spent uh, a good six months and he got a good taste of uh, 
Europe, and uh, we didn't think we were going to get him back because he lost his passport. He missed the first three flights. <laughs> he had a great time. <laughs> yeah, he had a great time, I will say. <laughs> and then he went to Vermont last year and studied apprenticed under the number one cheesemaker in the United States. Yeah. Pat, uh, uh, Peter Dixon is his name. So, and he was actually the guy that came down and helped us establish, uh, develop the cheese uh, factory here. He helped us get it set up and, mm-hmm. and kind of showed us what we need to do and how to do it. So, yeah, so that's that's basically how we got to where we are. And we've always just been a little cornerstone grocery store. And as I say, we're just a little mom and a little store with a lot to offer, you know. Yeah. So we have all the Italian, you know, there's nothing that you can't get that's, I mean, from Cinzano to, you know, uh, uh, Brioski, you know, your upset belly stuff, the candy, it's it's all imported. Of course, we do keep some stuff on the shelf, but, you know, your flour and your sugar and your things like that that the locals need, you know. But basically, we're an import store, and we have wholesale and retail and online. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're producing Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> yeah, I did see that on the website. You got the link for, yeah. uh, you know, for dinners, and that's great. That's uh, yeah. that's really cool. I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who want that. That's uh, Thanksgiving dinners with a little little Italian flair to it. Well, it, it's food's coming back, so that's good. People are more aware of what's good and what's not. And, um, you know, a, a lot of these women, that's why the, 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 the box meals that come with the recipes and all the ingredients, most of these women uh, – younger than me, uh, they don't know a difference in a, in a T-bone and a, a porterhouse. They don't know a difference between a, a rump roast and a rib roast, nor do they know how to cook it, you know. So, you know, it's, it's good to see, you know, people learning about food. You know, I, I, you couldn't take my kids out to eat. You're not going to come out light with a grilled cheese and a cheeseburger. They're going to read the menu and they're going to see, oh, oysters on the half shell. Oh, I'll take a half dozen of those. And no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad, they've got ribeyes. Oh, now, you know, yeah. 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 My kids have eaten uh, pate and, you know, stinky cheese and anchovies and yeah. that kind of stuff since they were little bitty. And I used to say, oh, God, it, the only thing that I can eat without being picked from as oysters on the half shell. So anytime we went to seafood and it wasn't, it wasn't very long. I think my oldest daughter was probably in her thirties and my youngest daughter was probably about mm, 15, maybe. Mm-hmm. Now she might've been older. No, I don't know. Cause Mateo was little. So Mateo, my grandson, that's a cheese maker. I think he was probably about five and we went out to eat and I ordered a, a dozen oysters and I thought, ah, oh, I'm going to get to chow down without anyone picking off my plate or asking for a taste, which we taste, you know, you have to taste. You have to, yeah. Yeah. We, the, my kids grew up with, you couldn't say yuck, gross. There are no food that is yuck. 
Food is not gross. It sustains you. It nourishes you. You might not like it. You might not like the looks of it. But you're going to take a no thank you helping and you're going to taste it. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it, but you're going to taste it. Yeah. So we're sitting at the seafood place and the kids are looking at me. Those are so gross, mom. And I said, oh, I'm glad you think so. And my oldest daughter said, I'm going to try one. Put one on a cracker, mom, with some of that cocktail sauce like you make. So I did, and I handed it to her. And then my other daughter said, well, she's eating one. I'm going to eat one. And then Mateo, who was only five or six, says, I want to try one too. So they all tried. And then that was it. I blew it because then I can't eat oysters because they all like them now. It's awful. (laughs) And they don't care if they're five bucks a piece. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know any difference. (laughs) They're going to pick the most expensive ones. But, yeah. So what kind of questions do you want to know? What do you want to ask and what yeah. do you want to know, Mike? So so what is your earliest memory? My earliest memory? Like the store and the cheese and tasting food. Like what, I mean, what, when you think of as far back as you can think, what, what comes to mind? Well, growing up in this Italian community, this was like the place to go because they had the penny candy. They had the ice cream. They had the soda pop. And not only that, they had a whole playground over here. A merry-go-round, a double hump slide, and a swing set. But during the 50s, you weren't allowed to leave your yard. Okay? You can walk all over this town. I mean, it's so small, there's not anywhere you can't walk. Yeah. Okay? So... Growing up here, you always wanted, and the old timers, if they saw you out, they'd give you, hey, here's a quarter, here's a quarter, you know, they'd give you money, the old timers would. And so you would have to go and beg your grandmother, can I please go down to La Vera's and spend my quarter? Because for a quarter, you could get 25 pieces of candy. That's a good deal. Well, I was always told. You can go down there, but you come straight back and you stay the heck away from those mean LeVere boys. <laughs> I ended up marrying that mean LeVere boy. <laughs> and they always sat in mass like this. <laughs> With their T-shirts rolled up, white T-shirts and jeans, and they leaned back. They were the, With their you know. cigarettes tucked in their T-shirts. That's why Grandma said, mean LeVere boys. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and then you'd come down here and they would throw rotten produce at you. It's <laughs> ah, a nice way of saying hello. My brother-in-law, my brother-in-law told me one time, hey, little Fenimore, you want, you think that merry-go-round's fun? I got a better ride for you. Get in this grocery cart and I'll give you a ride of your life. And stupid me got in the grocery cart and he ran me down those whole concrete stairs of the upstairs apartment. Crash at the end. So then when I came home with scant knees, grandma says, what happened? I didn't want to tell her because I shouldn't have been down here. That's the mean LeVere boys. (laughs) But yeah. This was the place to be. And every kid that has gone to public school in Krebs always came by Little Vera's after school, got their after school snack, and would sit on the the stoop and wait on their parents to come pick them up. (laughs) Yeah. So So this, this, 
the grocery store is a, a a cornerstone of the community. Yeah, that's why when when Sam died, I I jumped in the saddle and and took the reins because hmm. it's it's we're going on four generations now, and it hadn't been easy because I lost my husband January thirtieth, then I lost my mom the twenty fourth of February, and then the corona. So you know. It's it's been one hell of a year and one heck of a ride. Yeah, a well, learning curve one hundred and one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's it's been. I mean, you know, me speaking to friends from back home and obviously Italy and, and Spain being really bad with with the virus. As you know, we we saw it there first before you know it, it kind of came to the states. And it's yeah, it's it's not great for for businesses, is it? You know, family businesses or whatever it is. It's not great for anybody, but. Um, being the I could only let six people in at a time. My store's so small. By the time you got all the workers in there, yeah. six people, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, so I had to limit to six people in at a time. So I was at the store playing door mouse. Okay. How many's in yeah. these two come in? You can go, <laughs> these two come out, you can go in. And of course some people did get upset and I did get cussed, but it happened. Oh well. <laughs> tell me about tell me about the, the the cheese and the the kind of like going the process from going from it being just for the family to you know being sold and now it's like you know it it is your main draw for customers right is the cheese and and how, you know selling around the world online like is there you know tell tell me about that and and you know where where have you shipped all your all your cheese to I assume pretty much everywhere. Well, we do. We ship. Pretty much everywhere. Uh, we have local. We have local um, wholesale accounts like Pruitts. Walmart buys from us. Pruitts buys from us. Whole Foods buys from us. Crest buys from us. Um, right now, our our cheese production is kind of in a lull because our equipment's down and our cave went out. So all the aged cheese out the door. We had to toss it all, but uh, I'll get you. Let me grab something. Okay. The the original cheese that we started with was the Kashkaval. Mm -hmm. Then we moved into smoking it, and that's what we won the awards on was the smoked Kashkaval. Then my grandson started vamping that, and he changed. He added, he's he's it's still the table cheese Kashkaval, but he's, made Diablo, which is a hot Kashkaval. Then he did a herb Kashkaval. Then Matteo came up with uh, the cave. Once he went to Italy, then that's when he really got into the aged cave cheeses. And he developed, he started trying to bring back the uh, the cheeses from, from Pomonte, which is the, uh, the Vecchia, uh, well, after Kashkaval, then we moved into the goat cheese, the Chevrel. Then that's when Matteo started with the Batista, the Madeleine, the Aged. And then they, uh, that's when he started doing the Toma Vecchias and the uh, Alpine-style cheeses. And then they got with the local brewery here, which is uh, Chalk or Pete's Place. And they started with the Prairie Bomb because, and kind of mingled 
Pete's and the chalk beer with the cheese. And they, they came up with the incarnation cheese, which he's not making now, and the prairie bomb. And he's still making the prairie bomb. So he came up with the Tomas, which is the Alpine cheeses, and then the uh, prairie bomb and the Vecchias. And he's still, still producing those. And he came up with the new, oh, the stinky cheese, that Clarita. But it only comes out once a year when the, the cows are really grazing. And it's way, 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 way good. It's a soft, the Clarita is a soft, he named it Clarita because that's the dairy. Um, it's kind of like a, a, similar to a Port Salute, but not that flavor, not that mild. Um, man, I wish Mateo was here so you could really talk to him about the cheeses because he's like, a cheese head you talk you start talking cheese to him and it <laughs> as my husband would say it, it causes a rise because <laughs> he's totally passionate about the cheese and i'm sure once he gets this cave back up he's probably going to come up with a new recipe of some sort he's he's done a seasonal goat cheese he's mixed some Italian spices, I think, and he did sun-dried tomato to make a, a holiday uh, goat cheese. So it's red and green and white <laughs> for the holidays. And it's pretty good. Yeah. And the longer it sets, it, the better it is because it absorbs those tomatoes and those flavors in the goat cheese. And our goat cheese, our Chevrel is one of the best I've, I've tasted. I mean, even from France. He's got them beat. He's got them so beat because it doesn't have that goaty flavor at all. It doesn't have that twang whatsoever. So he's added cranberries to them. And so we have a goat cheese with cranberry. We have cracked black pepper goat cheese. Then we have the plain, which the plain you can mix anything with. You can mix honey with it. You can, you know, whatever you want. And it, it will take on those flavors. And so that's a nice soft cheese that he's come up with. But I'm real proud of him with his cheese, with what he's done with the cheese for as young as he is. And, you know, because that's who it's going to end up going to if, if he carries the torch, you know. I'm going to give him so long, but known as getting old and I'm giving him till I'm 65. And if he can't hold the reins by the time I'm 65, then he might better think about going to college. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that, that is really cool, though, to have, you know, to invest, send him off to learn as much as he can learn, you know, and go go back home for, to where everything's made and go to, to see, you know, the the, uh, the Dixon guy that you mentioned who's, you know, the best, and then to have to come back home and have this freedom and knowledge to go create anything he wants to go, right, and just have that right. opportunity right. to, you know, yeah, I'm going to create this stuff. But I'm sure with all the stuff, like you mentioned, been, things are down right now. So I'm sure he's, you know, sat there thinking his brain off. Yeah, things, that think, and he's going to come back and there's going to be a few few new cheeses coming out soon. But that's uh, that's really cool. And, and to have that. My, son, my son-in-law wanted to, to grow really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And he was growing too fast for what we could produce. So once Sam died, my grandson my son-in-law kind of took an exit. So my grandson has taken over completely and is the, you know, he developed the recipes anyway. So what was really cool and really made me proud was Peter Dixon 
to apprentice under Peter Dixon is high bucks. I mean, he's going to charge you over a thousand dollars to come apprentice under him. Yeah. He requested Mateo. He requested Mateo to come to him. If you'll send Mateo to me for free, I'll, I'll, I just want Mateo to come here and help me and he can apprentice for free. I won't charge you anything. I just want Mateo for three months. And so he had Mateo for three months. So Mateo was milking and cleaning. And of course, Mateo didn't like all that part of it so much. Getting up in, in Vermont and having to go feed at five o'clock and milk at five o'clock in the morning in Vermont and the in the fall and winter wasn't so uh, <laughs> so pleasurable, but he did learn a lot. And and what Peter Dixon has always told me is that Dominica, unlike any other cheesemaker, you guys are totally uh, heads up on everybody else because every culture that has ever come to this United States has been sent for. It has to be bought and sent to us. What you're making your cheese with is the traditional cultures that came on the boat. And I, he said, so that sets you apart from everybody else as a cheesemaker, which I wasn't aware of. I mean, it never really, never really crossed my mind, you know, but those cultures came on the boat. So, you know, we've maintained them all those years where all these other cheesemakers are starting fresh. We carried it over here with us. <laughs> it's it's really impressive. And the more you dive into it, the more you listen under the stories and people listening now will understand that, you know, there's so much more behind the story than what they see on the website. And I love, oh, you know, yeah. love that we get four to- generations of it. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many stories. I mean, we could talk for hours about this. I'm sure there's so many family stories and, you know, the stories that you have when you just sit around the table together, it's something that, you know, as a culture in the States, we don't do very often. Yeah. Only birthdays. It's only occasions rather than six o'clock, seven o'clock every night, you're around the dinner table, you know, Mm -hmm. that's special, especially when you have everyone living close by and, you know, there's, and it, it needs to happen more often. Well, that, that traditional dinner table gathering has kind of gone to the wayside. Most parents will, and I noticed it raising my children. My children weren't allowed to leave the house at night until dinner was done, homework was done. You know, you come in from school, TCB, you take care of business. You do your homework, you get your snack, do your homework, then you do your chores. Then we're going to sit down as a, as a family for dinner. My kids aren't going to run out of the house. These kids that my children grew up with would come over to the house and we'd be eating. And it's like, wow does your mama cook like this every night? And the kids are like, what's the big deal? Yeah. Yeah? So, because these kids weren't eating like us. Their parents would say, say, they'd come in the house and I'd say, have you kids eaten? Oh, yeah. And I'd say, well, what'd you eat? Oh, mom and dad went to the country club. They gave me 10 bucks. I went through McDonald's. And I'm like, that's what you ate for dinner? Are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? You know, (laughs) and then when the kids got older and then they were involved in in organizations like cheerleading, baseball, prom, when everybody's going out to eat or having banquets, 
it would be discussed. Baseball team, what do you guys want to do for your your end of the year banquet? Giovanni, see if your mama will cook for us. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Cheerleading. Oriana, see if your mama cook for us. Then it came prom in high school, and it's like you think you're going to get them out of the house, and you and your husband's going to have an evening together. Oh, no, 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 no. We decided we'd rather have you cook, Dominica, instead of us going out to the restaurants. We can eat better here than we can the restaurants. And that's the thing. When people say to me, well, what restaurant do you recommend? Huh. Well, the restaurants here are what we were raised with. It is not traditional Italian gourmet. It is Oklahoma depression spaghetti, the thick ragu, the sausage that was packed in lard, the meatballs that were packed in lard, because when you killed your calf or you killed your hog, you made all that stuff, you made all your sauce. My generation did, not the generations after me. That was ended in my generation, Sam and my generation. We'd have to clean the case of the intestines. We'd have to make the sausage. Then we'd make the salami. Then we'd make the cheese and we'd make the ragu to, and the meatballs and the sausage and grandma would part, pack them in cans and they'd go down in the cellar. And then at the end of the year, when you'd go get that last jar of sausage or that last jar of meatballs and you'd open it up, I'd kind of smell a little rancid, but you were told is okay, eat it. <laughs> You know, and then when freezers came in, oh, man, were we in hog heaven. (laughs) We didn't have to do that anymore. You know, she would grandma would steal can and stuff. And Mm -hmm. but, yeah, it was uh, we grew up doing that stuff where these kids, they 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 didn't. This generation didn't get it. So now it's all apropos to learn how to make homemade pasta, learn how to make homemade, you know. That we grew up doing, taken for granted, and we didn't like it. But now people are realizing that when you prepare a meal, yeah, it's so much better than something you can buy. And when people ask me, you know, what restaurant? Well, you're not going to get you're not going to get chicken piccata. You're not going to get chicken marsala. You're not going to get you know chicken Florentine and those kind of things or veal scallopini or anything like that. You're going to get the pasta with the heavy ragu because back in the depression that hung to your, that stuck with you. It's like meat and potato, you know? Yeah. So that's what these restaurants around here serve is, is, is the, the pasta and the, the heavy ragu and the, the meal that you wanted, the lasagna, the gnocchi, the, the heavy stuff that when you eat it, you want to take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why Italy closes at three o'clock and everybody goes home for a couple hours and they don't come back out until nine o'clock and then everything's open back up at nine o'clock. Yeah. You go home from three to seven, eight. They do know? it right. They do it right. They really do. They do do it right. Yeah. And a meal, it, it, a, a two hour meal is nothing. That's yeah. nothing. Here the you know, but these kids wouldn't, these parents weren't talking with their kids, you know, and then when my kids were grown up and all these families that my, I raised kids around that now they're grown and it would be like, what did you do? 
how come your kids turned out so, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. We discuss things, whether it be politics, religion, your day. That was the dinner table. That was mandatory. We're going to sit down as a family. We're going to spend an hour at this table and we're going to eat. And if your friends are waiting on you, so be it. You're going to have to clean the kitchen before you leave, too. I hate to tell you, <laughs> you know, but that's we carried Sam and I carried those traditions on. We kept those traditions alive in our family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even 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 the church, you know, even though we disagreed with a lot of the 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 Catholic church views when the kids were little, we gave them that corner. We 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 put that underneath them like we had. But then they get to a a logical uh, thinking age. They're not confirmed (laughs) because by that age. They were allowed to make their own decision. So last question, and then I'll let you take care of your business and, and, and go, go on. Uh, so what is your favorite meal? My favorite meal? Yeah. Mm. Jerusalem chicken. I don't know what one to of them. Look about it. Okay, let me think of another one. Uh, Oh, I like chicken cacciatore. Actually, I like rabbit cacciatore and polenta. Yeah. That's good. The That's way good. But that yeah, if you if you if you make a bake a rabbit, do you eat rabbit? I've never tried it. Oh man. If you bake a rabbit in the oven, you know what chicken cacciatore is, right? With the tomato and the onion and the pepper and it's kind of stewed like a and the chicken gets real fall off the bone and yeah. Oh man. Yeah. 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 You do a rabbit the same way. You know what polenta is? No. The cornmeal mush. And then you put it in a casserole and then put that stuff on top of it and put the cheese on top of it and bake it in the oven. Nice. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm hungry now. <laughs> and chicken Jerusalem, chicken Jerusalem is a uh, cream sauce. I'm a creamy. Sammy didn't like cream sauce. I love cream sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, chicken Jerusalem is you uh, pan sear your chicken and a little bit of uh, white wine or, or uh, mm-hmm. uh, vermouth or white port and saute that real good, season it up, saute it, sear it in your skillet. Then you put it in the casserole. Then you deglaze your pan, throw in some artichoke hearts and then a little cream sauce. And then you pour that over the top of the chicken and you put it in the oven and you cook it, finish it off. Yeah. Beautiful. A little bit of pasta, put it on the, you know, put that on the top of the pasta. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to eat Italian food for the rest of my life. Oh, so good. What, what's, what's traditional from where you come? Uh, I mean, Sunday roast dinners, really. Yeah, and the typical fish and chips, obviously, is the, you know, and, oh, yeah. Everybody does Sunday roast. Yeah. But I, that's the one thing I miss from home is food. Yeah. But, oh, awesome. Oh, and you have to have good bread and good coffee. That's one thing Italians, eh, yeah, I'm a coffee snob, so was my where husband. Do you, where do you get your coffee from, then? What coffee do you uh, 
I, I order coffee beans from Italy and I, I take them home from the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Espresso beans from Sicily. Mm-hmm. One of my importer guys is Sicilian, so I always have to give him, you know. <laughs> you got to. I'm Italian. He's Sicilian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I that you guys have such a worldwide impact from where you are. You know the small yeah. town and everything, and what you the story that you have. It's it's awesome. I can't I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day to share it. It uh, means a lot, and I'm sure the listeners are going to really enjoy it as well. Well, I hope you can make something worthy out of what I get. Oh, I will. <laughs> and if you're ever in our neck of the woods, be sure and come see us. I will definitely. I'll have. treat you to a good meal, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate. I it. might even take you to Mikasa and cook it for you. <laughs> if you because that's what they say. Where would you go if you? What restaurant do you recommend? Well, you can't. I mean, you know, don't get me to, you know. Yeah. So I say, okay, do you want a drink? Do you want a cocktail? Yeah. That'll make a difference. Yeah. Okay, do you want something heavy? Uh, you want pricey? You know, it just depends on where, what you want and where you want to go. But they're all good, you know. But yeah. it's not what I would cook. Right. Yeah. Well, so, awesome. So if you want a really good meal, you got to cook it yourself. Yeah. Or have some Italian cook it for you. There you go. I have to do that because I'm terrible at cooking. So yeah, nah, it's easy. It's easy. Cooking's easy. That's easy. That's what. I, that's why I like Rachel Ray. She says she went to the. She's no chef. She went to the cooking school of Allah Mama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know my son Giovanni is the is is the better cook? He he does most of the cooking. His wife doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't cook. Yeah. And my grandson, he's a wonderful cook as well. He can, he can do some uh, nice things. He's wanting to move into uh, making his own salamis. He wants me to make him a place where he can hang salamis and make his own chartreuserie stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's just stick with the cheese for now. Let's not try to, but yeah, we used to have a plant in Ada and, um, we still do, but we're not making any cheese there. He he also makes a, a a blue cheese that's that's really really good, and we call it Desertetto Blue because that's where we're from, you know, the region of, of Italy. Yeah. But that's a that's a seasonal cheese, so you know, and it has to age a certain time, and that's what people don't don't realize, and that's what I was trying to explain to Javon, uh, Matteo. I said, Matteo, instead of doing all these major things, I, we're downscaling. We're, we're kind of bringing it back home. You know what I'm saying? So what, what we're going to start doing, what he's going to start doing once his cave gets up is he's going to go back into his cave age cheese. And then those will only be released at certain times a year. And when they're gone, they're gone. Say la vie. You better get it while it lasts, you know? And if, if it would actually, it's like I told him, it would almost be better if it's sold before it even comes out of that cave. Yeah. So create the demand. When when we get the cave going back and, and things are running after the first of the year, we, you should come down and we yeah, could I, I give you a show around. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love that, and then obviously try some great coffee and, and real food as well. Oh, you're in Oklahoma City, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, have you ever gone to Gabriella's? I haven't. No, I need to then. Okay. Well, Gabriella's is from here. Okay. She grew up here. Her name is Vicki Robertson. Her family owns the Isla Capri, which was here, is still here. So we still have three Italian restaurants in our, in our area, which is Isla Capri, uh, the Pete's, 
and then Roseanne's. Okay. And they're all kin. Yeah. They're all kin. Yeah. That's really so, too. Yeah. It's it's uh it's 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 a family, you know, and, and like Mike used to sell them all the sausage, would sell them all the meat and yeah. all that. So yeah. Oh, and I forgot he's making Mike's original. That's kind of like a monster. Okay. Uh, Mateo made a cheese it. That way the restaurants, instead of buying uh, domestic Munster, Mateo created a cheese that they can serve on their tables that replaces that. And we call it Mike's Original. So, and he does it just like the Munster. He puts an auto on the outside. So it's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's about all I know. All right. As you can see, that was a firecracker of an episode. Uh, Dominica's hilarious. I had a great time and uh, I'm really excited to, to get up to Krebs and, and try out their food and their cheese. It, uh, I'm really now hungry. So thanks for listening and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Huge thanks to Oklahoma Agrotourism uh, for helping set this podcast up. Hundreds of farms and ranches across the state of Oklahoma invite you to explore and experience the intersection of agriculture and tourism. Oklahoma's growing adventure. Pet a pig, help with a harvest, lie around at the lodge, wind down with a wine and more. However, you want to experience agriculture? Let Oklahoma Agrotourism be your guide. Start your adventure at oklahomaagrotourism.com. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston. Mixed by Alan Brown with music by Chad Duro.